0: How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Awesome. All right. Well, welcome to Great Oaks. My name's Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Um, can't think of a better place to be than right here, gathered with all of us here this morning. So if you weren't able to make it and you're watching online, welcome. Uh, this morning, what I, what I want to do is kind of start by giving you all a little background about me, okay? So if you've been around... Here the past several weeks, you've probably seen me, and you may know, you know, he's just the big fella from Texas, that may be the extent of it, right? right. So I want to start, kind of give you a little little history, and maybe let you know me a little bit more. All right. So I am from Texas, born and raised, a whole life there. So I grew up going to church with my mom and my sister. Uh, my dad wasn't really in the picture growing up, um, so we just, you know, went pretty faithfully week after week. Um, Was a pretty good kid. Then, whenever I was ten years old, I found out that my dad was getting remarried, and they were going to have a baby. So there's all this excitement that goes along with this, right? I'm going to be a big brother here. I had a a younger sister, but you know, I have a little brother, so that's really cool. There's a lot of fun stuff that you can do there that you can't do with a sister, obviously. So we've got all this excitement going on. um, But then, unfortunately, that excitement kind of kind of faded pretty quick. Um, there started being some complications and things, and uh, my brother was born, uh, but unfortunately, due to everything going on, never never made it home from the hospital. Um, so with that, um, I, I can remember feeling at 10 years old even just this sense of injustice and anger rising up in me. So like I said, I'd grown up going to church, and I had just enough exposure to things that I knew God was real and I believed in him. But I felt like he gave me a raw deal. Uh, And I can remember this thought process as a 10-year-old that I had, that, God, I've been a good kid. I've been a good kid up until now. And this is what you're going to do with my life. I hate you. I'm going to deserve this. And it was like right then, this rage and anger just welled up inside of me and filled me. And went on well into high school for several years. Now, that whole time, my mom kept taking me to church, kicking, screaming, cussing, right? Praise God for persevering mamas, right? Like, like that, and that's a word for some of you out there, too. You got a wayward kid. Keep, keep at him. Keep going. So that whole time, you know, we're still going to church. Um, I'm not really wanting to be there. But my junior year of high school, the church that we were going to announced that they were going to take this trip. And they were going to go to Hollywood, California. So I remember them making this big announcement about it, and I thought, that's kind of cool, <laughs> like Hollywood. Like, who doesn't want to go there? And then they kind of move on, and they're talking about the cost for the trip and everything involved, and I'm just like, you know, that, that's not going to happen. And just kind of moved on my way, didn't really think much about it. But what I didn't know and realize was that praying, persevering mama that I had I also had some praying, persevering friends, too. And they were concerned for the place that I was at. And one of those friends was this lady named Miss B, All right. Now, I, I knew Miss B really well because she actually tutored me in Spanish uh, because obviously look at me, like I can't order at Taco Bell, like I need, needed the help, right? So, uh, but what I didn't know is that there was a lot more to Miss B than just being good at Spanish. She was praying for me as this lost young man that was just full of anger, And in that time, Miss B became convinced that I was supposed to go on this trip to Hollywood. So much so that she told my mom to sign me up. And she said, don't worry, he's going to get there. God's going to make a way. And this whole lady saw to it that that happened. She sacrificially gave, making sure that I had a spot on that trip. Because she was convinced God wanted me there for something. So spring break... That year I find myself in Hollywood, California, all right? So I'm excited cuz it's Hollywood. The problem is is that I wasn't really paying attention to what the whole trip was about, all right? Like they, I'm sure they went over it and I just didn't listen or didn't really care. I was just focused on Hollywood, right? So the trip was like a mission's trip and we were going to this place to learn about like street ministry, evangelism, things like that. So I didn't I didn't care about that at all. It's Hollywood. So the first day We're in this classroom kind of setting, and they got these people teaching and talking, and I'm not paying attention. Like, I don't really know what's going on. But then they make this announcement that that night, we're going to go out on Hollywood Boulevard. So I'm thinking, this this is going to be awesome. (laughs) Like, Hollywood Boulevard, this would be cool. So that's what happens. Now, their expectation was, is we were supposed to take the things that they had been talking about and then practice it, you know, to start talking to some people, pray for some folks, that sort of thing. I, I mean, I didn't care about that. So I'm just walking around, checking things out on Hollywood Boulevard. Like, I see Eddie Murphy from a distance. Like, that, That's pretty cool, you know. And I'm just taking in this environment, absorbing it all. And as I'm walking down the sidewalk, um, I see this crowd of people. A lot of them are folks that I'd gone with this trip on, and then some other folks I didn't recognize or know. And as I'm getting closer, I realize this crowd is all kind of gathered around this old homeless guy on the street. And this guy is standing here street preaching, okay? Like he's talking about Jesus, he's quoting Bible verses, all of this stuff. And I was captivated by what was happening, okay? I'm thinking in my teenage mind, this guy is slick. Like he knows his stuff, and he has got these church folk all riled up. Like, he's about to ask for some money and get a huge payday here. Like, that's my skepticalness coming through, all right? That's all I'm thinking. And I stayed there for a while. Like, I can't remember how long I was there. Um, and I don't even know why I was there other than it was God's hand on me in that moment. But it started getting really late and getting dark, and a volunteer that was with us comes up kind of to where we're at. Now, by that time, this crowd had kind of dwindled down, and there's like five of us left. And they're coming up telling us, hey, we've got to get back. It's getting dark. Where we were staying was right off of Hollywood Boulevard in a pretty sketchy area. So the place is, like, gated up, and they got to lock it in all up at night just for safety purposes. So we're there. They come up. We're kind of wrapping things up with this guy. And it's just this handful of us, and I'll never forget this. Okay, so there's three people, then me. And then another person to my right. And we're kind of in this little half circle around this guy. And he's going through saying goodbye to everybody, shaking their hands, introducing himself. And he goes to these three. And then he skips me and goes to this person. So at this point, I'm thinking, who do you think you are? Are you bum? Like, you're just going to skip me like that? And then after he shakes their hand, he comes back to me. This guy grabs my hand. He pulls me in, and he starts telling me all of this crazy stuff. Like this guy was, like he was reading my mail. Like I have no words to describe it at that time. But he's telling me like specific things from my past growing up that he had no business knowing or knowing anything about. He started talking about these things that were going on in my life right then at that time. Like thought processes and things that I was having. Like the guy was just he was reading my mail. And then he went in and started talking about this future that he said that God had for me and how he wanted me to be a leader and a leader among leaders and this huge like legacy that God wanted to start and to start doing through me. And I remember thinking, it was like the lights went on right then. I was like, this This is this stuff is real. Like I can't, I can't escape it. There's no way this guy should know any of these things. Like I can't deny any of this. And then I just start getting really overwhelmed by it all. I'm getting overwhelmed by these things that this guy is talking about, my future, all the stuff that he's saying that God wants to do. Because at that moment, I mean, the lights went on, and I was like, "I, I want this. I want this to be real. I want to be all in, following Jesus but I have no idea how to do this. I don't know what this looks like. This hasn't really been modeled for me ever. And I was overwhelmed because even as a teenager, I'd caught on to a truth in life. And that truth was, is that a goal without a plan is just a wish, right? And so it was like I had this brand new goal, but I had no plan for it, I had no idea how to do any of this stuff. And that same truth rings true to all of us, right? In every area of life, you have a goal with no plan, that's a wish. It's not going to happen. Remember, you set out and, and you determine that you want to do something, but if you don't make a plan for it, you're never going to get there. And as we've been talking these past couple of weeks about this idea of discipleship, This follow me as I follow Christ, that's no different. We've talked about how important that is, how we need to do that. And a lot of us have gotten fired up for it. It's like, we've got this goal now. We're going to make some disciples. We're going to be followers of Jesus ourselves, and then we're going to make other followers. But how in the world do we do that? What does that look like? So what I want to do this morning is take a little bit of time and unpack a little bit of this how-to, okay? So maybe give you a framework so that you can begin building a plane for this, so that you can be a follower of Jesus that makes other followers. So fortunately for us, the Bible actually talks about this idea a whole lot and all over the place. So you have guys like Moses, and he takes Joshua and Caleb, right? You've got guys like Elijah and Elijah, and then obviously Jesus. Like he's the one that modeled this and started this whole thing and set a great example for it. But there's these two other guys that I really want us to take a look at this morning. And it's these guys named Paul and Timothy. Okay? Now, Paul, if you've been around church much, you've probably heard of him. He wrote most of the New Testament. He's actually the one that wrote these verses that we've been looking at the past couple of weeks, Those verses from 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow me as I follow Christ, that be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So that guy took this younger man, Timothy, under his wing and started pouring into him, investing in him, encouraging him as a young leader, correcting him, instructing him. So you may have heard of Timothy also. Okay, so he's, he's made it obviously in the Bible here. There's two books in your your Bible, named after him, 1st and 2nd Timothy, all right, so it's really creative there, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and that's where we can get a lot of the idea about these men's relationship here, okay, so if you've got your Bible or, you know, your tablet or your phone or whatever it may be, you can turn to 2nd Timothy chapter 2, 2nd Timothy chapter 2, and we're just going to look at a couple of verses here, so verse 1 and verse 2, Now, this is Paul talking here, okay, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So notice what Paul's saying here. He says, Timothy, my child. Now, he's not his actual child, okay? But what happens here in these types of relationships is over time you start to gain a sense of family. So you may have heard somebody talk about someone in their life that was like a spiritual father or a spiritual mother to them. That's the same thing that's going on here with Paul and Timothy. Paul's invested so much of himself in Timothy and their relationship is so tight that he sees him as a son. So he practiced this discipleship making with him. And then he goes on, instructing Timothy from there. He says, what you saw me do, what I modeled with you and for you, go and do the same. Make disciples who will also make disciples. Now, last week, Pastor Jake did an awesome job unpacking kind of what this looks like, this multiplying effect of disciples making disciples and the model that Jesus laid out for us. So if you weren't here, you missed that, be sure and grab that online. And it will kind of help give you a good foundation for all of this. So, but then we have to ask ourselves, so how did, how did Paul do this? How was this modeled for us and what can we take away from it? So there are six things that I want to point out here okay, that we can take from this relationship between Paul and Timothy. And we can use those as a framework for our plan, for our plan to make disciples. So the first thing that you need to know is that disciple makers initiate discipleship. So as a disciple maker, you are the initiator in that relationship. As a disciple who makes other disciples, who makes other disciples, you're to take the lead there. You don't sit around and wait for someone to come to you to ask if they would, you know, you would mentor them or disciple them. You take the lead. That's how Paul operated with Timothy. He went to him. He took him along. He said, come with me. Come on, let me show you what God has shown me, what he's put in me. It's also what Jesus did. If you remember, he went to these disciples and called them to follow him. He wasn't just hanging out by the Sea of Galilee waiting for whoever showed up. He was active. He went to them. And it's actually the command that he laid out for us. Last week, we also looked at this verse These last things that Jesus told us in Matthew 28, what we call the the Great Commission. So if you've got your Bible, you can look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20. If not, we're going to have that on the screen also. But look at Jesus' instructions here, what he said for us to do. Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe All that I've commanded you. So look here. Jesus said, go and make. He didn't say sit and wait. This is a command for us to be active here. For us to initiate these type of relationships. That's Jesus' expectation. He commanded it. Crystal clear. Go and make. Not sit and wait. Now, practically for us, I get this, all right? This can feel super awkward, right? Like, I don't know how to do that. How do I initiate this? Like, this is going to be an awkward conversation. What if they say no? Like, nobody's just wanting to be rejected, right? But what you need to do is realize all this takes is a simple invitation. That's it. A simple invite is all that it's got to be. You don't have to use super spiritual language, all right? You can put aside all of your Jesus jargon. You don't have to worry about that. It's not, Paul didn't go, hello, Timothy, I would like to invite thee into a covenant discipleship relationship with me. No, that's weird, okay? Don't be weird. Don't be weird. You don't have to be weird about it all, right? A simple invitation, all right, so let me tell you, super practical, rubber meat in the road here, how this looks for me. Okay? So whenever I feel God kind of leading me, whenever I'm, I'm taking the step here to, to initiate this type of relationship, I usually start by just asking somebody out for lunch or to grab a cup of coffee. And as we're meeting, I'm just starting to kind of ask them questions. asking questions about where, what God's doing in your life right now. What's God showing you? I usually ask them their story. And then I usually share mine. I'll share a little bit about what God's doing in my life right then. And usually through that conversation in those times, you can kind of gauge where this person's at. Okay? And so then that, that's it. And then what I usually do after that is I, I follow up with them. Okay? And just kind of connect with them, check in, see, hey, how are you doing? And if I really feel like, okay, we're moving in this direction, then I'll extend just a simple invitation. And all I do is I'll say, Hey, I really enjoyed getting together and connecting with you. And I really think that, that God's doing some cool stuff in your life. And I'd love to be a part of it. Like, would, would you be interested in us just kind of connecting for a season here, being intentional with that? That's it. Nothing super awkward, nothing super crazy in that. Just a simple invitation. Okay? But that invitation needs to be there. All right, you need to at some level kind of call it what it is. It's not just getting coffee over and over and over again. Like that's good. That's not bad. But that's not discipleship. So at a level, you have to like you've got to address the intentionality of your time together there. But you can do that with a simple invite. So don't overcomplicate it. Don't worry about it even further. Just trust God. Trust God that He's going to be with you. Trust God that whenever you step out to follow Him and His commands he's going to be gracious to you. That he's going to give you what you need for that. But you're never going to know unless you take that step. So disciple makers initiate. The next thing is the disciple makers are intentional. This will not happen on its own. Disciple making is an intentional effort. Only weeds grow by accident. Anything else Needs intentional purpose for it. So with Paul and Timothy, Paul, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, sat down and wrote intentional letters of instruction to Timothy. It was purposeful and it was relevant for his instruction and his growth. Disciples will not make disciples who make disciples by accident. It's not going to happen without intentionality. And honestly, that's no different than anything else you want to accomplish in life, right? So, for example, if I want to lose some weight, and I mean, trim down super thin, right, so I can fit into some skinny jeans like all my hipster friends, right, that's, I got to be intentional, right? Actually, I don't, intentionality is not even going to do that or cut that, all right? Nobody needs to see me like that. But you get the point, don't you? Like... If you have any kind of a goal, all right, you've got to be intentional. If I want to slim down, I can't just eat pizza and donuts and soda all the time. I have to have an intentional effort to accomplish that goal. That goes with anything. This is no different, and it's of even more significance. If we have an intentional approach to making disciples and being intentional with our time. So on that note of intentionality, too, let, let me kind of clarify a couple of things. This doesn't have to be in what I would call formal types of settings, okay? And by formal settings, I mean like a, a life group or a prayer group or a class. Those are all great. Do not hear me wrong. I am for all of those, okay? And those are great tools to help you be purposeful in disciple making. But I'd also encourage you to think about other types of settings, maybe informal settings where you can be intentional with your time, so maybe it's inviting that younger mom along with you as you go shopping, or having that family over for dinner, or taking that young man with you to do a project on your house. In that whole time that you're together, having intentional conversations, being purposeful with that time that you have. Now, the good thing for us in this day and age is we also have got a million different resources to help us with that. So you can grab a Bible study and go through that together. You could study a book of the Bible. You could use the YouVersion Bible app. It's got a million different reading plans. You guys could go through those together. Spend time praying together. Ask them how they pray. Show them how you do together. Just be purposeful and intentional with that time together. Again, intentionally inviting them to do life with you and being purposeful with that time. So, disciple makers initiate and they're intentional. The other thing is the disciple makers instruct, they teach those that they're discipling. So, look again at that 2 Timothy chapter 2, and look at verse 2 this time. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, notice those last three words. Take a look at that. Teach others also. Disciple making is all about providing instruction, teaching others what God has taught you. Now, when I say that, I I can feel the anxiety in the room rise up. Like, I can feel it all the way from some of you online right now whenever we talk about teaching others, right? Like, I don't don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm not a teacher. You don't feel like you're at. A certain level. There's just a lot of fear associated with that, right? Like, I mean, what if we get together and they start asking me about Leviticus or Revelation or hermeneutics? Like, what even is that? Herma, what? Like, I don't know this stuff. I didn't go to school for this. I studied accounting or I studied engineering or slow down, big fellow. Like, I barely passed freshman English, right? Like, I I don't have the answers to this. And there's so much fear that can get wrapped up in all of that, okay? But I want you to listen really close. That fear is a lie straight from the deepest pit of hell. Don't buy into that fear. There's not a certain level that you have to get to in order to do this. There's not a certain amount of knowledge that you have to have or getting on some kind of spiritual hierarchy before you can start doing this. It's, it's simple. You don't need that degree, okay, in theology. Those 12 guys that Jesus picked out to start this whole thing, they didn't have that. They didn't have any of that background at all. It's not that you get to a level that you know enough where you can do this. You also, you don't even have to be a teacher or have a gift of teaching to do this. Okay, if God has shown you anything, you have something to share. If God has done anything in your life, if he's taught you or shown you anything, you have something to share. So show what you know. That's it. It's that simple. Show what you know. You don't have to worry about having an answer to every theological topic or knowing every book of the Bible backwards and forwards. Show what you know. That's all that it is. Look again at 2 Timothy. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he says, listen, what you've heard from me, share that with others. Just show what you know, Timothy. So the best way that I've ever heard this illustrated is to think of it like this. Okay? You can't fill up anyone else's cup. And that's not what God has asked you to do. What God has asked you to do is to take your cup and empty it out. That's all. You show what you know. Whatever he's given you, you pour that out into others. And kind of a little side note on this too. Okay? I know there's a lot of you that you're, just, you're hungry for God to do more in your life. You want God to show you some more and teach you some more. And if that's you, if you want more of God in your life, then you need to start sharing what God has already shown you. Why would God be giving you more if you're not sharing what he's already given you? So show what you know. So disciple makers instruct. The next thing is disciple makers are also encouragers. So again, let's think back to this relationship between Paul and Timothy. Timothy. Paul wrote Timothy two letters here, to encourage and to instruct him. So even in that verse that we've been looking at right there, okay, look how that starts out in that 2 Timothy 2. It says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So he says, Timothy, be strengthened, be encouraged. All right? And this is how he starts the letter to him too, all right? So flip back over to chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 3, here's how Paul starts off this whole thing to Timothy. He says, I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Timothy, I thank God for you. I pray for you constantly. Be encouraged. You ever have someone let you know that they're praying for you or write you a letter of encouragement? Or a quick note, doesn't, doesn't it do your heart well? It does something inside of you, doesn't it? It's like it imparts courage, right? So think, think about that word even, encourage. There's two parts there, in encourage, impart courage. And we've got the power to do that through encouragement. And I've had people in my life that have done this so well over the years, And every time I get a note from one of them or a text or a letter, I just get so full of courage. It's like I can storm the gates of hell with a water pistol, right? Like I'm just, I'm full of courage from these people. They've imparted this. They've deposited courage inside of me. And as disciple makers, that's our role is to encourage those that we're walking with to impart courage to those that you're discipling so that they can walk in more of the fullness that God has for them. So disciple-makers are encouragers. The next thing kind of for our framework and our how-to is that disciple-makers correct and rebuke in love. Now, depending on your personality, you either really like this or you want to avoid it at all costs, Okay. But either way, we need to realize that graciously correcting and rebuking is a necessary part of disciple-making. You, as a disciple-maker, have a responsibility to correct and rebuke those that you've entered into this type of relationship with. There's no way around it. So, look at some of this instruction that Paul has given to Timothy. So, skip down just a little bit further to chapter 4, okay? So chapter 4, verse 2, it's the same, same guy here talking to the same person. Here's what he says. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So first of all, Paul says there's really only two times that you need to worry about all this stuff, right? Like two times that this is relevant, in season and out of season. So you find another time, and you don't have to worry about any of this. But for what we're talking about, in season, out of season here, okay? But then look what he says. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. This is just what we've been talking about. Teaching, encouraging, correcting. There's going to be times in that relationship that you have to rebuke and correct. But remember, that's for the good of everyone. How are they going to know unless you, by God's grace, help them address and overcome the sin in their lives. That's an important role. Now, there's also some of you at the same time that really enjoy doing this and probably enjoy it a little bit too much, all right? And you, you know who you are if, you, if that's you, all right? And what you have got to remember is that this has got to be done in love. We need to be a people full of grace and truth. And you've got to keep in mind, okay, the relational investment that's required to be successful in doing this. You will not have a line of disciples making disciples all around you if everybody around you just feels beat up all the time. So you have to season that. You have to remind them that it's done in love. So practically in those situations, that's how that happens, you start noticing something in this person's life. Maybe they share some struggle with you. Okay. Start by reminding them that you're there for them, that you guys have committed to this relationship and that you care about them. But then directly address that sin. Okay. That's not a time for sarcasm or joking around about it. For the sake of their good, address it directly. But don't just leave it there. Okay. Let them know how you've overcome that. Okay, or equip them. Help them know some tools or resources to help them walk through it and don't just leave them alone with it. Walk with them. That's part of making disciples. Show them how to overcome this sin so that they can walk in more of the fullness that God has for them. So, disciple makers initiate relationships, they're intentional, they instruct, encourage, correct, and rebuke in love, and most importantly, Disciple makers point to Jesus. That's the whole point of all of this, right, is that we point to Jesus, that we know Jesus more, that we become more like Jesus, and that other people are empowered to do the same. So look again at, at 2 Timothy, okay, we're going to go back up to chapter 2 again here, but what I want you to do is drop down to verse 8, okay, so we've got Paul giving all of this instruction and thanks to Timothy, and then verse 8, look what he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So Paul's going on his way here, instructing Timothy, telling him things. You need to do this, do this. And then it's like he stops. But remember Jesus. This whole thing is about Jesus. Look at any of the letters that Paul has written. Both of them he wrote to Timothy, anything else in the Bible. And you see that Paul has this kind of common flow of things that he's teaching, he's instructing, he's rebuking at times. And then it's like he just gets wrapped up and stops and he's like, hold on a second. Refocus. Remember Jesus. The whole reason I'm telling you all of this stuff is about Jesus. The whole reason that disciple making is a big deal is because of Jesus. We want to know Jesus. We want to look like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We want to help others do the same. Disciple makers point to Jesus And that's what sets this whole thing apart from just mentoring, okay? Mentoring's great. That's fine. You can mentor somebody in fishing or quilting or ferret racing. I don't know. You pick. You pick, okay? That's great, all right? That's all good. But Jesus is the center of this stuff. And when Jesus is the center, it affects everything. It affects your marriage. It affects your parenting. It affects your employment every area is influenced as Jesus is the center because disciple makers point to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything that we do, we point to him in our relationships as we're taking our next steps towards God and we're helping other people do the same and they're helping other people do the same. So let me show you what this practically looked like in my own life. Okay. Okay. So there I am, Hollywood, California. I've got this new goal for my life, and, and I'm overwhelmed about it. So what I, what I neglected to tell you earlier, that you need to know, some more background on me, as, as a teenager, I wasn't uh, well, I wasn't the fine human specimen that you see today. OK? <laughs> so I was pretty rough around the edges. Uh, I had long hair, an earring, a huge chip on my shoulder. I was kind of more alone. I wasn't really an athlete. I wasn't really popular. I was just mad. I was just mad looking for a fight anywhere I could. That's all that it was. But God saw something different in me, and he called it out that night, that he wanted something more for me. And along with that, God also showed a few men that same vision for me, and they decided to make an intentional investment in me for that. So the first of those men was a guy named Rick. Now, Rick was my youth pastor, okay, Um, but he he really developed into that spiritual father to me that we talked about before, Um, and he continues to be that to this day. Um, Rick Rick initiated a disciple-making relationship with me. He asked me to come along with him. He said that he saw these things in me that got called out in me that night, and he wanted to invest in it. So he asked me to follow him as he followed Jesus. He was intentional as an approach. He invited me into his life to watch and observe, to process how he led in his family, in ministry, how he loved his wife, how he raised his kids. He practiced the show what you know in every area of his life. It didn't even have to be in those formal kind of settings and be informally, invited me to go work out with him, ride motorcycles, just go grab lunch. Invited me to tag along with his family for things. He was intentional with that. He also let me in on how he processed decisions, how he handled failures, how he took risks, how he sought to honor Jesus in all of it. He also gave me opportunities to use my gifts to grow, instructing, encouraging, correcting. And there was a lot of correcting along the way, all right? And to this day, it's had a lasting impact because whenever I have a situation with my kids or within my family, I often think, "And how would Rick handle that? Because I knew that as I followed him, he was following Jesus. And so I could trace that in my mind, and it gave me a practical example of what that looked like. Another example started right at that same time in my life with a man named Chase. Now, what you need to know about Chase is Chase didn't work in the church. Chase owned a business. He was married, had three kids, a super busy schedule. He traveled all the time. But Chase had a plan for disciple making. And what Chase did is he woke up early every Saturday morning before the rest of his family got up and met with me at a donut shop. And he started with a simple invitation just asked me if I wanted to go grab some donuts, his treat, right? So as a large teenage guy, I'm not turning down free donuts, right? So I show up. And week after week, for a couple of years, Chase gave up his Saturday morning sleep and woke up early and invested in me. It was in those times that I learned how to read the Bible, how I learned to ask questions, how I learned to think critically on the truths of God, how I learned to pray, but most importantly, I learned how to do this disciple-making thing in a real practical way. And so over all those years, since that time, by God's grace, right, I've been able to implement that. So what I've jokingly called donut shop discipleship, where I've done that same thing, inviting young men along with me. Just grab a donut, nothing will break the ice like a good donut, right? Then we talk truth. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest things in my adult life happened last year. And I took my two boys for breakfast at a little donut shop in Abilene, Texas. And when I walked in, I look over in the corner booth, and I see a young man, Marcus. He's sitting at a table, with two teenage guys, Bible laid on the table, doing donut shop discipleship. And it's created this legacy there that God has been gracious to do. So those men, they didn't just make a goal to make disciples. They made a plan because they knew that a goal without a plan is a wish. But even further, a plan not executed is a waste. So we have to take action in doing this. So my hope for us is that we would grab a hold of this, that this wouldn't, we wouldn't only see the importance of it, we wouldn't only be moved just for a little bit and thinking that we should do it, but that you would take the time to make a real plan to make disciples who make disciples. Because this is important stuff. You know, our, our world needs this. But even more, I, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about one day whenever you stand before God, okay, and you're standing there and he begins to paint a picture of your life and he starts with you, okay, and then from there it kind of fades out and he highlights and shows you these people that you've invested in, these people that you've discipled, that you said, follow me as I'm following Jesus, And then that picture gets a little bit broader, and he shows you the influence that those people had on other people. And then it pans out even further from there, and it shows that the people that those people influenced were influencing. And on and on and on and on and on that day, I believe that God is going to give us a grace to see the chain reaction of our obedience to him. That we're going to see well beyond those people that we just invested in on our few years here on the planet, but how he unpacks that for a legacy. But we've got to intentionally take steps in making a plan and executing a plan for that to happen. So, as we're kind of wrapping up this series, talking about this follow me and discipleship idea. One of the things that we want to do is is give you a tool to help with that, okay? So on your way out, we've got a book that we want to give you. It's called Discipling, right? This is by Mark Deaver. It's an easy read, um, small book, you can see. And it's not just small because I have huge ogre hands. It's a little book, all right? So you can read it quick, all right? And we've got enough for every family on your way out. So I want to encourage you, take that. Utilize that resource. Keep this in front of you. We've got a great new series coming next week that's going to be incredible. But let's remember through that, that as whatever we learn, we need to be sharing with other people and keep that going. I also want to encourage you this week in your life group to talk about this. If you're not in a life group, we can help you find one. Right? So after service, you can go to Connection Central in the back. We'd love to meet with you and make sure that you're plugged in today so you can be connected. I also want to remind you, just like we say every week around here, don't let this stuff stop with you. Open up your Bible with a coworker, with a neighbor, with your family, and start sharing what God has shown you. Show what you know. Let's not overcomplicate this. So the band's going to come back up in a second, and we're just going to to worship God through song one more time as we go throughout our day. But before we do that, I I want to pray for you, okay? And I'm going to let you know what I'm praying for. I'm praying that God gives you grace to see people around you that you can initiate this type of intentional relationship with, and that you'd have boldness to do just that. So pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you're among us and that you're with us. And I thank you that you're at work. Father, I ask for each one here that you would give us a, a special grace as we seek to follow you and as we invite others along. As for every man and woman in here, that right now you would bring someone to mind that they can begin walking with, that they can begin discipling. Would you give them courage and boldness to follow you, and as they do, to tell that person, follow me, come along. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for your goodness to us this morning. Amen. So if you would, you'd stand up. I also want you to know, you know, if you're if you're new to all of this and we're kind of wrapping up this disciple-making series and you're interested like what what does that even look like to be a Jesus follower? Maybe you're you're starting to be interested in taking those next steps. I want to encourage you to talk to somebody. We will have pastors and prayer partners on the sides here as we're singing and celebrating and we'd love to answer any questions that we possibly could for you.